0: Welcome to the Nerd Party.
1: Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast on the Nerd Party Network that looks at all of the aspects of filmmaking that often get overlooked. I'm John. And I'm Mike. And uh, before we get into our topic this week, of course, we're available at thenerdparty.com slash contact. You can drop us a line. And you can reach out to us on the social networks at join nerd party on Twitter. And you can find us the nerd party over on Facebook and the nerd party on Instagram. And actually, uh, right now, just as a quick note, we uh we want to let you know nerd party has actually been hit by a legal claim. And uh, we're in a, a strange situation here because we're, of course, a, a not for profit, uh, for fun network. Uh, it's all Volunteer and all—all all for fun. But uh, if you want details, you can go over to gofundmecom slash party uh, Again, that's gofundmecom slash party and you can go ahead and read more about it over there. But uh, if you enjoy uh, what we're doing here on the Nerd Party, we would appreciate greatly if you go over, check out that link. If you can contribute anything—a dollar, a dollar fifty, whatever you got. Uh, we would really appreciate it because uh, this is an, an odd situation to be in. Um, but we know that you love and support us, and we look forward to continuing to bring you uh, all of the different shows that we have here on the network.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it really is kind of a, a weird situation where, um, you know, if if the nerd party can get hit by this, then then really anyone can. You know, it's yeah. it's it's not. I mean, this this seems like something where, you know, anyone who has, like, uh, a, a podcast or a blog or a website with patrons or, or anything is is vulnerable to this. And the fact that it just landed on the nerd, nerd party is, you know, really kind of a bummer. And, you know, I mean, like, like I, I said on Twitter, like, you know, Tristan is, you know, such a good guy who's supported so many... Uh, fellow podcasters and everything including well the two of us yep. that you know it, it it really sucks you know that this happened uh, to him and you know if if anyone can help out and and support him it it really would be greatly appreciated for sure very
1: much so and and one thing we want to be absolutely clear about is every single cent that is donated goes strictly to this legal fund. There is absolutely no operational cost or anything like that that this is going toward. This is pure help uh, in a tough situation. So, uh, again, we would appreciate it, and we thank you very much in advance. So, all of that said, uh, we find ourselves here, uh, the Great Shot Kid, the show known for looking at the -the behind-the-scenes stuff. We find ourselves with a whole lot of news. in both the Star Wars and Star Trek world right now. Um, A whole lot of exciting and interesting news, actually.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, that Star Wars trailer for that Star Wars movie that's coming out, it's called Solo, I believe. Um, I think so. It dropped uh, this week, and, you know, everyone's like, oh, Solo. And the thing that I found to be the most interesting about all of it was the uh credit block on the bottom of the poster? Yes. <laughs> because I know that 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 Lord and Miller recently revealed that they were going to be taking executive producer credits uh, f- uh instead of, you know, director credits for this movie and you know that was I think kind of assumed by everybody. But Ron Howard is officially, you know, the credited director on Solo. And, you know, everything else is pretty much kind of as we expected. The one thing which stood out to me, um, which was kind of interesting, I don't know, is uh, the, the editing credit is mm. exclusively given to Pietro Scalia, who, um, it's one of the best editors in the world, to be honest. He edited JFK. Uh, he edited gladiator pretty much every Ridley Scott movie f- for the past, you know, like 20 years or so. He's done tons and tons and tons of work, and he's absolutely amazing. Um, the The editor who was working on the project when Lord and Miller were there was... Um, uh, uh, Christopher Dickens? What's the th- yeah, Chris Dickens. Yeah, okay. Chris Dickens, who is... Uh, sorry, Edgar Wright, yeah, who is Edgar Wright's um old editor? He worked on you know things like Shaun of the Dead and Hot yeah. Fuzz and stuff like that, so certainly a, a, a talented editor in his own right. But you know, it is pretty cool to see Pietro Scalia working on this movie, but also the fact that Dickens isn't even credited suggests that there was some substantial re-editing going on with this movie so that's yeah interesting for sure uh
1: it is interesting and uh y- you know scalia ha- does have a-, a heck of a pedigree he also seems to be uh, somebody that ridley scott likes to uh lean on uh you know through time and everything but i i want to say also that a uh a a film that he's credited on as, as editor that he's absolutely... He did some brilliant work on as well was Black Hawk Down, which oh, yeah. I think is a masterpiece of editing. And uh, I got to give him credit as well. He did uh, the editing on 13 Hours, which I thought was a really crisply edited film. Uh, so...
0: Yeah, he also edited the prequel movie, The 11th Hour, um, which uh, came out a few years prior. Um, and he edited um well I don't know. I love this movie and I think the editing in it is fantastic. The Quick and the Dead. Oh I love the Quick and the Dead. Are you kidding? Yeah. That is great. a brilliant like, film. I mean I think maybe aside from For Love of the Game, that's my favorite rainy movie uh the gift would put be ahead of it. Aside from I For seen Love of the, the G- Gift. Oh it's so. so good. I mean you like yeah. horror. It's it's his love horror. It's his horror movie with you know, but he does it like high class. Like he gets Billy Bob Thornton to write his horror movies and they're starring, you know, Keanu Reeves and uh and uh um Kate Blanchett, you know? Great right, stuff. Right. Great no, it's it's a really good little sort of like thriller thing where like Kate Blanchett, she's the lead in the movie. She's um uh you know, like a single mom in like a small town in like the middle of the bayou or something like that. And she makes her money kind of on the side as a psychic. And, you know, everyone sort of goes to her. She's just the town psychic or whatever. But there's some fairly substantial evidence that she actually is psychic, you know, and she can see these things. And then, you know, basically there's a murder in town and, you know, she's brought in to kind of like help with that and uncover some some really sort of like dark secrets. A Great cast. Katie Holmes, Hilary Swank, Greg Kinnear. Um, I, uh, it, it's it's a great movie to, to watch oh, it. I'll, uh, I'll have
1: to add that to the queue uh, to try to make up for the fact that I wasted time watching Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Oh, so
0: I only made it a half an hour into that movie, to be honest.
1: I got an older kid who's a, a potter head, and so she was into it, and I was just sitting like I was... Wow, that was, but I'll I'll rent and watch The Gift and maybe that'll that'll make up for it. But yeah, you know, I mean, doesn't it make sense though that a different editor would come in when a different director comes in? I mean, Howard is not going to be doing things at the same sort of flow. Like if you're thinking about somebody who normally works with like Edgar Wright, there's a certain sort of flow and vibe. And I honestly don't think that, uh, you know, Ron Howard is going to be doing that I mean like you know you usually see a movie like Shaun of the Dead um, or any Edgar Wright and it's always got those you know the the quick montage of okay we got to get ready you know click 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 like real quick stuff I don't expect to see anything like that in a Ron Howard movie you know
0: yeah I guess so I guess the the thing that kind of surprises me about it though is that like you know Scalia hasn't really like worked with with ron howard before like i I would almost imagine that howard would bring on like someone who he's worked with extensively in the past so that he'd have that shorthand or whatever you know but i mean maybe maybe the people who he he usually works with were busy because obviously there was a very quick turnaround on this and and it is interesting that you know he did keep his cinematographer bradford young but I'm just I, looking you know, at it. <laughs>
1: I want to I want to throw out there that I'm not actually terribly familiar with uh, Bradford Young's work. I haven't seen Arrival. Um, I actually haven't even seen Selma much to my chagrin. But, yeah. um, you know, which I you know, I, I've heard nothing but great, uh, great things about it. But man, the visuals in that trailer, they 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 sang to me, man. Like I. This I I can say that I was starting to get sold on solo. I liked the original trailers and stuff like that. I thought it was you know slick. I was like, okay, I'm interested. After this trailer, like this looks like something where I could turn off the sound and just look at the pictures. And you know that's that's heaven to me. I'm all sold for that. Like I even think specifically because you know the image is going around. You know everybody's got a screen cap of it, of you know Han. In the Falcon, when he's saying "190 years old," wow, you look great. Mm-hmm. But like just the way that the like the blue washes are on him, and and all of the instrument panels and everything, and the way that it it just pops, and even the shot of them standing outside uh, looking up at the Falcon, while the you know that there's the the sun behind the clouds, and even that train sequence. I mean, I think about that train sequence looks visually to me a lot like Captain America. Uh, the first Avenger, but it speaks to me in the sense that I look at it, and I'm like, look at how far the effects, I mean, it's obvious to me with how good these effects look that they, I I can only imagine it was, uh, there was a certain amount of ease, I don't want to say ease, but, Ron Howard was able to say, well, the effects team has already gotten these things up to this certain point. I'm not going to change these sequences. Yeah. You know, we can just go ahead and do this, and then I'll shoot the stuff that I need to shoot that, you know, fills the gap between. Because I would expect the effect sequences in certain points to be like, Ur, oh, I don't know about that because you had to scrap it. But it's obvious to me, at least, looking at this stuff, he didn't like scrap whole effect sequences and reimagine them. He came at it very practically and said, this is what we got. This is what we're going to shoot. This is what we still have. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for Bradford Young, I mean, the the movie which everyone will recommend is Arrival because that's what he got no- nominated for an Oscar for and everything like that. And, you know, certainly it's a pretty good movie. And I, I guess I wasn't overwhelmed by the cinematography in that movie. And, you know, Selma, of course, you know, I, I, I would recommend that. That That's a, a great movie. But if you want kind of like a more hidden gem, which mm-hmm. is a really solid movie, which, you know, doesn't get nearly as much credit, I would recommend A Most Violent Year, um, which is a, a movie starring Jessica Jastain and Oscar Isaac. Um, and it's about sort of like this guy who's like, Trying to run like an honest business and sort of like a world where, you know, like the the mob and everyone sort of like controls everything, and it's it's just uh, it's a really interesting sort of you know like morality tale, but um, it, it's it's very very good and very well shot, and you can rent it for like ninety nine cents on Amazon Prime right now, so you know. Ooh, excellent!
1: Do it well. I, I definitely. Uh, I I think it's a testament to his talents that I see a trailer and I'm like, I want to see what else this guy has shot because I'm in love with how this movie looks so far. Yeah. like, I I mean, just the shot of Lando sitting at the the card table, you know, everything you heard about me, it's true. You know, like, just that shot, I was like, wow, look at that. It's, like, I mean, the thing is, like, it's like the reaction I had to the Rogue One trailer where I was like, I have no idea if the movie's good, but that's it looks wonderful mm-hmm. and you know except for the stuff they reshot it did
0: but i don't you know. know i thought that stuff looked pretty good too but i mean this this i, I mean i agree like it, it really seems like he's embracing the, the the digitalness of it you know i mean there's lots of times you run into a situation where you know movies are shot digitally um but you know made to look like they're shot on Film, but you know this is shot digitally and it looks fantastic. It was shot um, with the same camera that they used to shoot uh, Rogue One. Uh, It's also the same camera that they used to shoot that Avengers movie, but without the IMAX sticker on the side, so you know (laughs) it's not officially an IMAX movie. But uh, yeah, it's it's so I'm I'm sure it's going to look great. You know, so so wait a minute. Like, But this
1: keeps the trend going, doesn't it? Because you pointed out uh, some time ago that the all of the episodes are going to be shot on film, but so far we're two for two in terms of shooting digitally for the standalones. So it's that's kind
0: of an odd flip there, isn't it? I don't think it's really that odd when you think about it. I mean... These are the low-budget ones, right? You know, I mean, the people directing the episodes—they can pretty much ask for anything they want, and they get it. But the, the the episode ones, just like all the Marvel movies, are shot digitally. You know, since but it was Iron Man two, I guess would have been the last one, and that's sort of like I think mandated by by the studio. I would imagine that the people making these these so you know standalone stories are not getting the same creative freedom in that regard i mean maybe they would choose to shoot digitally anyway but i'm just saying i don't necessarily know that they're given the option
1: i do want to point out though something i noticed an interesting exchange on twitter uh with regards to ron howard like there's a whole lot of speculation of course there are Answers were never going to get to certain questions and everything. But the rampant speculation is he basically reshot the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And he'd he'd have to have reshot a substantial portion of it to get the director credit anyway. So he worked, you know, if I recall correctly, they announced they were finished shooting. It was like three months, which is like typical, you know, shooting schedule for an entire film. So they, they basically went from the ground up sort of thing. But he still not just finishing the film on time he's actually like a little bit ahead of schedule in terms of like locking the edit and the score and finalizing things and what's so funny and i think this probably speaks to the mission statement of like a lot of the conversations that we've had through time <laughs> you know he posts he posts this thing where he's like month and a half to go final edits locked and i'm like wow hey that's that's pretty awesome and of course, the first response he gets on Twitter is somebody saying, I have a bad feeling about this. It's only a month and a half till the movie. And fortunately, there were other people that jumped in that were like,
0: uh, actually, that's really good. Yeah, you know, that's like, how it works today. I mean, <laughs> before you needed all that extra time because you needed to make 2,000 physical prints. You know, now right. you don't have to do that. And, you know, all of that is thanks in large part to George Lucas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I remember like when. Uh, I guess it was episode two came out because that probably lines up with about right around the time that Men in Black 2 came out, I think. And, you know, they were releasing episode two digitally and everything. And, of course, that was the talk around town. Like, what do you think about digital projection? Every, you know, filmmaker interview had that question in it. And uh, I remember seeing an interview with Barry Sonnenfeld where they asked him about it. And he's like, yeah, it's pretty cool because, for one thing, you can keep on... Working on the movie up until the very end, you know, and give it to them and everything like that, and you know, um, it, it's true. You know, he, he also said like you could even do, you know, what what Lucas does and change the movie and then release, you know, that later on, you know, for you know a couple of weeks later, release a different version of the movie, which hasn't yeah. really happened, but it very easily could variations of that have happened for sure. Yeah. Uh,
1: it, two, two, fu- two funny stories with that, and I'm sure that over time I've told you this story before, but Men in Black 2 was in the theaters the same summer as Episode 2 because I remember sitting in Men in Black 2 in the theater uh, and just watching it, and I didn't care for it too much, and walking across the, uh, walking across to the theater showing Episode 2, and I was like, oh, he's on Geonosis, and I like, sat down and finished that. <laughs> i was just like yeah this is fair um but uh then i also remember on the commentary on the dvd for episode two uh lucas was talking and it was during the scene where Django fett is fighting mace windu and loses his head spoilers and lucas is sitting there talking and he says well you know in in actual the the final version, the digital version, I added sparks to Django Fett's backpack so that you could see. And I'm paraphrasing here. This is an exact wording. He's like, I added sparks to make it look like, oh, oh, this is that version. And you hear him chuckling. He's like, oh, OK. Yeah, th- that's what I did. You know, like it, so like it even caught him by surprise that he was seeing the latest version when he was doing the commentary.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what, you know, people have brought up online. They're like uh, Empire Strikes Back wasn't finished until after it was released. You know, yep because there were those extra shots which were added, not to mention all of the sound formats. I mean, they talked about that, you know, the six-track Dolby on the 70 millimeter print of of Star Wars is kind of like a rough draft. And, you know, you you listen to that and it's like, wow, this really sounds different, you know? Mm -hmm. Whereas by the time, you know, then they would kind of get, you know, smaller and smaller, then it was like four-track, stereo, and then by the time you got to the mono, that was like the most complete version as we think of it now, but not in s- stereo sound, you know. So that's yeah, that's kind of an interesting little whatever. Well, most but theaters were still mono back then, weren't they? I, I would say probably most, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 a weird little thing that, but yeah, I mean, it's it's true they 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 really don't need to finish the movie up until the very end i mean these movies are shipped out i mean they they do ship hard drives but i would say most theaters get their movies via satellite you know you can Mm -hmm. send i mean you can literally send a movie in the span of a couple hours if you want and uh, it happens pretty that's wild that's so
1: wild just to think that you live in the i you know it's just so it's so wild to live in that that era so well i don't know i mean the thing is just you know last thing about the the solo trailer like did it move the needle for you are you more excited to
0: see the movie now i mean i was already really excited to see the movie i mean i watched the trailer i watched it twice and um i'm like that looks really cool youtube's compression Uh, there's youtube's (laughs) app on the apple tv is the worst app imaginable but whatever um yeah i mean aside from that yeah it looks really cool i mean did it make me any more or less excited to see the movie no i mean i'm still gonna go on opening night you know 7 p.m yeah but yeah yeah so nobody
1: nobody can uh spoil it yeah I, i will spoil this I'm pretty sure Han, Chewie and Lando are going to survive.
0: Yeah, I saw pretty someone sure online because the trailer ends with like Chewie sticking yeah. his head out the thing and someone's like, "Oh no, is Chewie going to die?" <laughs>
1: hey, you never know. It could be like a Star Trek 3 thing. Chewie's got like a katra and that's what the second Wookiee that you see is there for and so they transfer Chewbacca to another Wookiee. I mean, come on.
0: You could you, Yeah.
1: At the end of Star Trek 2, would you have possibly imagined that they'd do that to bring Spock back? No, you wouldn't.
0: No, but I don't think Nick Meyer did, did either, you know? So. <laughs>
1: That's for sure. Yeah. That is that is for sure. For yeah. sure. But, uh, you know, Star Wars is sucking all of the air out of the room, of course, but there has been, speaking of, of Star Trek, some interesting news with Discovery Season 2.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the big thing, which was just announced the day that we're recording this, Monday, is that... Anson Mount has been cast as Captain Christopher Pike. Um I'm not tremendously familiar with this guy. I know people keep on saying that he was in uh the Inhumans TV show, which nobody watched. Yeah. <laughs> That's why nobody knows him from it. I mean, yeah. you you look at him and he looks he looks like, you know, Jeffrey Hunter, like mm-hmm. visually speaking. It seems like good casting. And I know that uh, he's been on some other, more sort of like prestige shows, like uh, Hell on Wheels and, and stuff like that. Or, um, but uh, yeah. the you know whenever something like this happens, especially when it comes to characters who I'm intimately familiar with, I always like to sort of go back and look and see what the very first thing I saw them in was, just yeah. to kind of like. I don't know, to be like, that guy? That's the guy? Okay. And the very first thing, it's not the very first thing that I saw him in, but the very first thing that I can kind of semi-recall him being in is Crossroads, the the Britney Spears movie. Oh, which, my goodness. Which, by the way, was written by Shonda Rhimes. Everyone forgets that, but it was written by Shonda Rhimes. Um, wow. It. That, I love that movie so much. It, of course you do. It, it just cracks of me up. You do. I mean, I don't think it's very good. Um, I, I do think it's weird because it was kind of, like, produced by this, like, indie producer who had produced, like, th- this movie called Brother that was directed by Takeshi Katano, starred Katano and uh, um, Omar Epps. It's just beautiful, beautiful masterpiece of a movie which no one ever talks about ever which is just sad but if you want to if you want to just cry your eyes out while watching a uh, super bloody like x-rated yakuza movie and just you know ball over the the you know e- emotional attachment between these two guys who become brothers i mean yeah check out brother it's fantastic fantastic that movie. is a really interesting statement it's it, it's so I mean it, it is so quiet it's like this quiet little character drama about friendship with these punctuations of like extreme violence and it's uh, it's it's a masterpiece so like
1: so extreme that it's is this like bone tomahawk extreme no, sort it, of violence No
0: it's it's not like It's nothing, you're not going to be like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like this before. There were, like, a couple of, like, it's it's basically R-rated, you know, your typical sort of, like, you know, gangster movie violence. But it got, like, uh, an NC-17 originally. They had to, like, trim a few shots. Uh, The one that I remember is, like, there's a shot where, like, they, like, break, like, chopsticks in half and like stick them up a dude's nose and then like shove ah. it uh, you ah. know but but it's it's but it's not like you know oh and watch as we do it's more like a you know palm to the nose kind of thing
1: oh so it's it's more like a uh, last boy scout if you touch me again i'll kill you and then he jams the guy's nose up in his face yeah and... it's
0: honestly not okay not even nearly as as graphic or disturbing as the um, disappearing pencil in dark night but it's something along <laughs> those lines But in the uh, American version, like when they do that, instead of like actually seeing like the dude get punched in the nose, it like cuts to red, you know, like oh, ah, and that kind of thing. Anyway, (laughs) okay, but but it's 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 a very good movie. I highly 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 recommend it. And um, yeah, Takeshi Kitano, such a good actor. His presence in that movie is awesome. He's got. Because like he's so still like he doesn't he doesn't move, he doesn't react or anything like that. And yet there's this thing about him which is like really interesting because he was in like a motorcycle crash and he, he had some sort of like nerve damage. So he's got this little like eye twitch. so like he'll be sitting perfectly still, but then like his eye twitches just randomly every once in a while. and it's such a like an interesting character trait you know i think he's really sort of like come to exploit that like later on in his career mm-hmm. like in terms of his performances and stuff like that but it's i don't know he, it's so good
1: <laughs> i mean you're selling me on it you you give me a you give me three things to put on the queue so you know
0: there you go put that one at the top that that movie's awesome
1: that's at the top okay
0: yeah but uh what are we talking about oh yeah okay so so the producer of that also produced Crossroads with Britney Spears which also stars Anson Mount as I believe the love interest but I could be wrong about that I'm not 100% positive I have to go back and check anyway I'm going to have to so, watch Crossroads now and see
1: you <laughs> uh, uh, have to yeah I think uh so. you know uh, he, so but but here's the thing here's the thing that I'm thinking of right with with Anson Mount isn't he I mean uh, he's not Stepping into the same sort of trap that, I guess, Alden Ehrenreich is about to, you know, the wood chipper that Ehrenreich is about to go into. You're not Harrison Ford. Yeah. This isn't as charged as uh, you're not Jeffrey Hunter, because Jeffrey Hunter's pilot wasn't seen for, like, decades. And then, you know, Christopher Pike, the way most people think of him, you know, beep,
0: beep. Right. You know, that's all they think of. And, Um, and, And also, you know, he has the advantage of coming after Bruce Greenwood. So people have already That's seen true. a reinterpretation of of Captain Pike.
1: What did you think of of Greenwood's Pike? I don't know. I don't know if we've ever talked about that. Do you think that uh, I mean, again, like, isn't Pike sort of just a blank canvas at this point? Does it really matter what right. they do?
0: I mean, they could have done anything with him, and, and I love what they did there because they took what pike is on a sort of metaphorical level you know which is the the predecessor to kirk right he's yeah he's uh, sort of like the, the the kirk's dad in a sense right and here they made him Kirk's dad, in a sense, right? Because, I mean, you could do anything you wanted to with the character, and they're like, well, let's do this. Let's actually make these two characters connected and, you know, pass the torch in that way that we can because we need that type of character in this story in order to tell the story of Kirk. We could not just make up a guy, or we could use this guy from the canon. And that's what they did. They used the guy from the canon, and I think it worked really well. So I liked it a lot. And Bruce Greenwood is awesome in everything.
1: Yeah, no, I I think he's a great actor. I actually, uh, uh, an overlooked performance of his, because nobody saw it, was um, 13 Days, I think is the name of it, the one about the Cuban Missile Crisis. The sequel to
0: 13 Hours,
1: yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, because he was uh, JFK in that. He was really good.
0: Yeah, that was a really good movie. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it was. It was. I I remember everybody ragging on Costner for his... uh, on again, off I mean the guy should just stay clear of accents, let's be honest um but uh that's a, that a lot of people have forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing that in the theater too,
0: yeah, that, I remember was really good I remember looking forward to it, and like we were supposed to get the print on like this this night or whatever, and they usually like dropped off the prints at like ten o'clock at night, you know. And I was sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting for this print to show up so I could put, build it and watch it. And it just wasn't showing up. And I was like, "Screw this!" Like at, at like midnight, I'm like, "Screw this! I'm leaving." And I went upstairs to get my jacket and everything. And I'm walking out the door, and then the guy drops it off. I'm like, "Too late, too late. I have to wait till <laughs> tomorrow." I don't know why, but that's what I remember most about thirteen hours. (laughs) That that and the sequences that went to black and white for no apparent reason—that I remember too.
1: Uh, Wasn't that supposed to be like that? Meant they were realer or like documented? Maybe maybe I'm wrong because I I always interpret that when it goes to black and white, it's like unless it's Oliver Stone, you know, this is verifiably a thing that happened, and everything else in color is like our. Dramatic interpretation of it, or something like hmm. that. It's interesting. I'll have to
0: watch it again and see if that's what it was. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Uh, yeah, so I, I did like that. I mean, with with this, it's really weird because you look at like the story, you know, where this came out, and I think it was like Entertainment Week. Oh, no, it, it was Hollywood Report or something that broke the news. And they interviewed, you know, the showrunners, Berg and Harberts, and they're like very specific, like, we do not want to imply that. Spock will be in the show because Pike is in the show, right? But they say, like, well, this is going to deal with, you know, the fact that Burnham's, you know, stepbrother is is Spock. And... But then they, they say in there, they're like, we're definitely not casting Spock. And they say Leonard Nimoy's performance and Zachary Quinto's performance are so... They're so iconic that the last thing we would want to do is try to cast that role. So all of that, to me, suggests like they are not going to have a new Spock in this, right? But I Mm -hmm. do not see how they can tell this story without Spock, right? But... I cannot see them casting Zachary Quinto in this role because that would be a little weird, right? So here's my big theory. You heard it here first. All right. They're going to Trials and Tribulations it, and Spock will be in this show, and he will be played by Leonard Nimoy. What do you think fan reaction is going to be? I think they'll love it. You think so? I think there will be a subset which will be like, this is disrespectful to this man. He died without seeing Star Trek Discovery, and had he lived, he would hate it, because the Klingons have foreheads. But that's going to be a small group of people. Okay. I'll be interested. I
1: don't think that that is a bad guess. I really don't. Um, I really don't. I personally wish that they would uh, you know if they got Burnham, I personally wish that they would bring Cybok in. Uh, that would be pretty cool. Uh,
0: that'll
1: be season uh, I, three. yeah, season three. But don't you see a danger here? Like I, I guess this was this was my big complaint with like the the season finale of Star Trek Discovery. Season one was having the enterprise show up. I felt like they had spent a season fighting for their own identity. And now they're going to have a second season that it's going to be the Enterprise show again.
0: I don't think they were fighting for their own identity. I think they were establishing their own identity. You know, I mean, just like any of the other shows did. But but I also think that if you're going to tell a story in this universe, it only makes sense to utilize the things at your disposal. So for them to say, hey, you know, Here's Enterprise, which is we we all know is flying around, which we all know, you know, has Spock on it, and we've got Sarek and Burnham on here. It's weird to not have that. It's weird for it to always be. Which I guess this is the other option. They're going to be like, uh, is Spock on board. Oh yeah, well he's you know, I mean it's his off day. <laughs> he's you know, in the bathroom. <laughs> that I I that's what I hope
1: they don't do. You know. Well. They can't have Bones, because at this point, Bones hasn't been assigned. No, no, wait,
0: no, Bones... No, he's not on there. No, but I thought
1: thought Bones predates Kirk, doesn't he?
0: No, because I think there's another um, doctor in Where No Man Has Gone Before. So... Okay, see, the reason I'm thinking he predates Kirk is because
1: in Star Trek VI, the amount of time he says he's been serving as doctor on the Enterprise... I think is like technically longer than
0: Kirk's command of it. I don't. You know, I don't have my series of then. I don't have my my Star Trek chronology in front of me right now, but I'm pretty sure that that Bones comes on later. Uh, but I mean, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if we see Lieutenant Jose Tyler, and I, I I wouldn't be at all surprised if we see Number One. Right, I'd be surprised if we don't see. I think we need to. Yeah, yeah. So, so that could be interesting, and and well, yeah, it, it could also be interesting in that, you know, in David Mack's book, which is you know, soft canon, I guess. Uh, th- th- they've all met each other already, so at least you know Burnham and Saru have. So that's kind of an interesting little thing. So I, I don't know.
1: Maybe, just maybe Anson Mount is only ever seen on the view screen because their transporters aren't working. Right. Well, they're... and every time, every time they're like, So, what does Spock say? Spock, come on over here. And then, like, it gets all fuzzy and everything,
0: and you just see an outline. Uh... He's like, Did you
1: get that? No, it broke up. We'll have to call later.
0: Yeah, they better not do that. I mean, they could do that, but I don't think that they're going to do that, you know? And I mean, they. It. I mean, Nick Meyer, who I'm, I'm shocked, is even still involved in this show. I, I think maybe he's not involved with the show. Maybe he's just on the lot doing another show. But he's well. His dog, at the very least, has said like, "Oh yeah, we're, you know, it would be dumb of us to, you know, it's it would be hard for us to show the enterprise without you know sets or something like that. You know, I mean, he implied that that they are building sets for the show. Or she, she, Stella, Stella, the Star Trek dog, implied that they are building enterprise sets and and things like that. You know, I mean, they've obviously thought about the whole costume situation and everything. It's going to be weird,
1: but I'm looking forward to it. Okay, because, because I'm obsessed with doing, like, the, you know, the comparison with Solo, I mean, Solo undoubtedly has more freedom in terms of, like, how fast and loose it can be with, like, costumes and changes... Why do you think it is that Star Wars fans seem to be more open to the idea of you know the the falcon looking different and this looking different and the you know uh D- Lando being played by a different person and Han being played by a different person and then but then we get into this territory where Bergen Harberts have to be like we swear to god there isn't going to be a recasting of Spock. Like, why can't people just be like, yeah, obviously they have to recast Spock. Quinto isn't going to do it anymore. And he's probably too old for it by this point, you know, for this time period or whatever. And we, you know, Leonard Niboy can't do it. So
0: it's it's a I mean, you could get Quinto to do it. it, it I Like I did the math and it's something like a, I want to say like a nine year difference, which is not that you know it's a borderline but it's not not terrible but um i i I think a lot of it has to do with the prequels and the fact that you know they recast obi-wan in that Mm. and that kind of like set the precedent because like i wonder if they would do that like if if that hadn't been because you know sometimes you know you forget about that and you think like oh are they gonna are they going to recast Han Solo? Like, can you do that? And it's like, yeah, you can, because they did it with Obi-Wan, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. So I think that that's kind of part of it. Um, I think also there's sort of a a side to it where it's like um, Star Wars fans sort of have a much sort of like wider scope in terms of their fandom and the casual Star Wars fans are not going to care about things like that whereas Star Trek is more focused in terms of its intensity and you know you are going to get a larger percentage of people who are upset with that than you would with Star Wars. Is there such a thing as a casual Star Trek fan anymore? Yeah, I know a few. Yeah. I guess I am. I would count as that, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you didn't. Yeah. You weren't there watching every single episode of Discovery as it dropped. You know. Uh, no,
1: because I don't think that was possible for me. Um,
0: but even for if it was technical reasons. But even if it was, you wouldn't do that. I know you no, wouldn't I because when it, it it did become technically possible <laughs> for true. you, you didn't do that. You know. That's
1: true. That is true. No, that's fair. Okay, so I'm a casual Star Trek fan. So I wouldn't. I mean, I don't get. Uh, Recast Spock. I mean, seriously, if you're going to do it, just go whole hog, man. Just go nuts for it.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't have any problem with them recasting Spock. I mean, I I do think that from the beginning they should have had, you know, Ben Cross as, you know, Sarek and Bruce Greenwood as, you know, Pike and everything like that. But I think in addition to wanting to establish their own identity, what has since been revealed is that there seems to be some weird legality there. In terms of what they can and cannot use. Apparently, the TV show is not allowed to use anything which originated in the movies. Which means as much as we want to see a young general Chang in this show, it's not going to happen because he originated in Star Trek VI. But it also like it means we can't see Carol Marcus. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird, like because there's some weird territory there in terms of like, well, I mean, because like I was thinking about this, like, well, let's say Carol Marcus originated. Well, let's talk about Cybok, you know, or, or whatever. Oh, that's true. You know, he, he can't he can't be in the show. So I guess that answers that question. But like, well, let's say you have a situation like let's say Carol Marcus was uh, a, a character on the original series. In Into Darkness, they introduce her dad, right? Well, we know that Carol Marcus has a dad because she's a person. So does that mean that we cannot tell any stories about her dad on TV in this theoretical scenario, which doesn't make any sense? But, I mean, there's, like, weird territory there, you know? Yeah. I would say that, yeah. Wow. Wow. That that
1: does kind of suck though. Well, that also explains because again, you know, with all of the behind the scenes stuff, we noticed when the uh, the when the writers' room they were were originally taking their the pictures of like new writers and stuff. They had a picture of all of the ships, mm-hmm. the you know the in, iterations of the Enterprise, and they had the Kelvin Enterprise on there. And then we noticed that with the later writer, uh, his picture, they had like put a paper over it so that you couldn't see it anymore. Yeah. So obviously the the decision had come down where it's like, no, you may not.
0: <laughs> but so weird.
1: then it straddles this weird line because discovery's design looks like one of the designs that was put out there for the refit of the enterprise in the motion picture. But I guess since it was developed for television, yeah. when they were doing phase two, it falls into that category where they're like, yeah, you can use that. And it would oh wow, that's so interesting. That is really so wild when you really break it down because that's that is an odd place to find yourself. But doesn't this mean I mean there's no hope for a Star Trek
0: movie, is there? Like it's it's No, because they can still make Star Trek movies. I know, but it's been so long and is there any Yeah, there's hope I, there's, for it. There's is hope there hope there any for a momentum? Star Trek movie. Yeah, I mean there are Writing it now, they've apparently got three different scripts. I don't know, you know, depending on who you ask. <laughs> Zachary, Quint- film all three, it- <laughs>
1: screen them with a test audience, and see which one tests best.
0: There, there's the Payne and McKay script, and then there's the Mark L. Smith script based on the Tarantino idea. And then, according to Zachary Quinto, Simon Pegg and Doug Jung wrote a script, but Simon Pegg says that's not true. So, who are you going to believe there? I don't know, to be honest. But uh, yeah, um, I, I there will be a new star, and and the other thing, you know, s- certainly things are progressing in order to merge these two companies. So hopefully, by the time season three and this movie comes out, all of this will be a non-issue, you know. But yeah, but one 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 last thing here. Um, in addition to all this, you know, stuff with the thing and the show and discovery, uh, there is one behind-the-scenes person which has been revealed, and that's a new writer, Alan B. McElroy, mm. who uh, has written a number of things in the past going way, way back uh, to, well, not way, way back, just 1988. He wrote the script for Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, which I haven't seen. Oh, I have. Yeah.
1: I have. As everybody knows, I'm a huge Halloween fan. Yeah. I saw, uh, wow, well, yeah. Uh, Halloween 4 was, uh, I mean, I guess the original soft reboot sort of thing because Michael Myers is, uh, and listen, Halloween 2 came out in the early 80s, the real one. If you haven't seen it by this point, I mean, come on. I've seen that one. He's dead at the end of Halloween 2. Okay, but is he dead at the end of
0: most of them? I mean, no. Okay.
1: The, he gets up and walks away, basically. He disappears. There's no body seen at the end of Halloween. It's that big cliffhanger thing where it's, you know, it, you know, it really was the boogeyman. As a matter of fact, it was. And then, you know, he goes out and the, the body's gone. You hear the breathing through the mask. Halloween 2, you literally see him walk out on fire after the operating room explodes and you see the mask melt and she sits there and watches him burn. Okay, he's done. And the original plan for the Halloween series was that it was going to be a series of duologies. Yeah. Halloween one and two were one story. Three was supposed to be a lead into four. Three bombs. Four winds up being a soft reboot, which relies on the fact that the home video market, I guess, didn't really let anybody remember Halloween two too well. You know, and so Michael Myers is just a burn victim. As is Donald Pleasance, even though he got gutted uh, right before the room exploded. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, but but it's a reboot. It's like saying like, OK, we'll back it
0: up a little bit, come up with a, a believable reason why uh, he's, you know, he's still alive. So theoretically, this new Halloween movie, which is going to take into account one and two and ignore the rest, it's actually like a remake of Halloween four. Yes. Oh, cool.
1: Halloween 3 had nothing to do with Michael Myers, which is why it was a flop. Yeah. Uh season and and it's also a terrible movie. Like it's next like as much as I love to sort of beat up on Halloween 5 or the uh absolutely uh execrable uh, Halloween 6 and Halloween 7, um barely tolerable uh you know Halloween water um and Halloween Resurrection and Rob Zombie's Halloween. And H uh, two, and all of that stuff. Like Halloween three is, like, it's one of those movies where you watch it because you're like, "Wow, could it, could it really get worse than this?" And it, and it keeps it keeps
0: rising to the challenge. So you know, okay, it's an achiever in that in that regard. All right, I uh, you know, I, I I need to watch all the Halloween movies uh, before this new one comes out. You know, because I've only seen one, two, and then H uh, two O on up. So.
1: Well, H two O also. I mean, Halloween four ignores three and sort of soft reboots the end of two. Mm-hmm. Halloween H two O ignores four and five. Okay, in favor of a soft reboot there.
0: So and then so it's like yeah. Highlander where they keep on remaking Highlander two. Yes, this they keep on remaking Highlander or they keep on remaking Halloween four. Yes. Okay. Cool. Which is the real Halloween 3. All right. So McElroy, he's written a number of other things uh, which are you know somewhat noteworthy, including, um, well, the Left Behind movie with Kirk Cameron. That's exciting. Uh, Ballistic X vs. Sever, which, hey, I know at the time everyone was like, this is one of the worst movies ever made. That's not true. That's actually not a bad movie. I recommend... Ballistic X versus Sever. I'm the only one, but I recommend <laughs> it. Okay. Um, he, he, he wrote Wrong Turn, uh, which I haven't seen, but I know is, is very popular. And he also wrote The Marine, which I haven't seen, but I know is very popular. And he, he wrote uh, a movie called The Perfect Guy, which I did see, which I liked. It's very much sort of like in that. Who does that star? It stars, um, uh, Sana Lathan, or Lath- uh, the the woman from uh, A V P. Um, ah, okay, yeah, and, yes. and Michael Ely and Morris Chestnut, where like you know there's like a, a guy starts dating a woman and then like his or her, her ex. Girl, boyfriend comes around and is like terrorized. It's, it's, it's weird, but it's fun. It's, it's one of those, <laughs> those fun, crazy movies. Um, he, he, he was a writer on The Vampire Diaries, and most noteworthy, in my opinion, he wrote not only the Spawn movie from 1997, mm. but also he created the Spawn animated series on HBO, From 1997, which is a really good show.
1: Yes, it is. The animated show was great. I would love to talk to him about the movie Spawn. (laughs) I I would love to pick his brain about that one. Or Halloween 4. I mean, honestly, to talk to the writer of Halloween 4, like, you know, 13-year-old John is like, yeah, I want to talk to that guy, like, right now. (laughs)
0: I'd want to talk to him about the animated series Spawn because that that show is really really good. I I I was just because it's on Amazon Prime or whatever, so I was just watching the first episode before we started recording. It's got this if if nothing else, rewatch that first episode because it's got this introduction by (laughs) Todd McFarlane where he's like sitting there in like his dark Mm -hmm. like moonlit. You know artist studio like inking pages of comic books, and he's like, "What would you do if you're you were about to die and then the devil comes and says, "You can live, but you're gonna be his agent you You can't stop to think about it what would you what would you say? Well, I hope you would think about it because, like this character in our show didn't think about it, and now he's spawn, so there you go. It's, like, really weird. Like, the way that he says it, and I, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's hilarious, but it's
1: awesome. Uh, the fr- yeah, the world's first rock star uh, comic book artist that I can remember. I mean, yeah. uh,
0: Kirby was,
1: obviously, but, like.
0: Him and, yeah, there he- was him and Rob Liefeld and everything. And then mm. and then he ended up uh, um, buying all those home run baseballs during the, uh when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were having their home run thing. There was like Did he? I didn't know yeah, that. There was there was like an anonymous uh an, an anonymous buyer of like all of these balls. And then it was revealed like a few months later that it was Todd McFarlane. And he was calling the uh his his collection the McFarlane collection. <laughs> and when <laughs> because everything is like McFarland Toys, McFarland, yeah. co- you know, so he called it the McFarlane Collection. But to his defense in the press conference, he's like, "I thought that that was a better name than the guy who has more money than brains collection." <laughs> so, yeah, apparently he's a, he's a really big baseball fan. That's why like McFarland Toys does the uh the baseball figures and stuff too. So, anyway. Well,
1: I mean, McFarland Toys is those figures are pretty Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, they really are. They're good. Um, yeah.
0: And, and, you know, they're doing uh, a line of, well, Star Trek in general, but, you know, Discovery in particular, uh, they're, they're doing these, um like, props, like the, the phaser and the communicator, and they're, mm-hmm. like, scanned from the original whatever. So, I mean, obviously they're not as good as the $500 whatever thingies, but, like, they're going to be, like, 30 bucks, Essentially screen accurate toys that light up and do everything. They look really cool from the you know, the pictures which have been out there. So it's, Declare it's a them to
1: TSA before you fly with them. Yes, that's true. But that, it's that's a pro tip. It's, but but it's
0: a reunion of, of McElroy and McFarlane here and on on, uh, on on Star Trek Discovery. So I'm excited about that, you know. I, I like that. And the Spawn movie. Hey, you know, Roger Ebert gave it four stars. Um, He did? Oh, yeah. He loved that movie. He's like, "This this is the comic book movie for adults that we've been waiting for. The visuals in this are astounding. You've never seen special effects like this. And, you know, it was directed by and produced by two visual effects guys and... I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you uh, Mark Az Depay, you know, is the director. If you listen, you've got to find a DVD of Spawn and listen to the audio commentary because they are the inspiration for "quote unquote" banned from the ranch because they were banned from the ranch while working on Terminator Two. Have you heard this story?
1: I have not heard this
0: story. Okay, okay. Uh, let me just because no one's going to find this DVD, right? It's okay. Not, yeah. They tell. Okay, so they were the, the the two like the producer and director of Spawn. Back before they 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 were doing that, they were visual effects guys and they were geniuses in terms of like early CGI stuff, and they were essentially the guys. I could be getting some of this wrong because it's been like 20 years since I've heard this commentary, but they were essentially the guys who were doing the liquid metal stuff in T2, right? Okay. So it's T2. It's a huge production. They're the only guys in the world who can do it. They're basically spending 24 hours a day, seven days a week at ILM, and they're there in the middle of the night, one weekend, and they're burned out, And they're like, oh, we need a break. What should we do? Let's go break into George Lucas's office. And they do. And they get caught. And (sighs) basically, they're in a position where they're like, we can't fire you because you're literally the only people in the world who can do this job. However, you're banned from the ranch. And that's how that that production company got that name and then they got to make Spawn so there you go
1: oh wow see the thing is that sort of kills me on several levels (laughs) because oh that just hurts I mean why why would you why what what decision making process occurs in your brain where you're like I mean I guess you really got to be burned out where you're just like
0: you're just at your wits end sort of thing but I'm guessing they were yeah. all probably, like, super young at the time, too, right? And probably not making the best life choices. I don't know. Let's see. This guy, he was born in 1956. T2 came out in 1991. So he yeah. was, like, 25 years old. Would that be right? No, he was 35 no. years old. All right. You you so know better. <laughs> there goes that theory okay never mind. yeah no
1: you're you're like if you're telling me he's oh he's like 19 years old real whiz kid i'm like ah he's a dumb kid i know how stupid i was at 19 but i even i like yeah you so don't i you I, don't I've, go I continue to make bad decisions yeah. through my life but like no no matter how <laughs> how weird life has been by the time i was 35 I was i would have had the wherewithal to be like okay there are several gateways to this process here. It's not like it was easy to to do, but whatever. I, You know, at least they have a claim to fame, I guess. Because, but wasn't one of the... Um, it was Steve Spaz Williams that was uh, the effects lead on Spawn. Yeah. Wasn't he? I, I think because he was also the effects lead on adding Jabba uh, to the special edition mm-hmm. in 97. There you go. And I remember seeing the interview with him, and it used to drive me nuts because he'd say Jabba. And I was like, no, no, pronounce the name
0: right. But yes. <sighs> I don't know. You know, and and I, I I like I said, I'm probably getting some of those details wrong because it was a long time ago. But uh it's on the it's on the D V D. That's where they tell the story. So go check out wow. that D V D. It's the best thing on the D V D by far. So And that statement includes the the movie, movie yeah,
1: in question. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Although I like the movie. It's not bad. So, uh, You know, I remember when it came out, there was a lot of hype with it. And I remember my friends being very evenly split. And I remember being, you know, Pollyanna positive about it and then seeing it a second time. And I was like, yeah, no, I can't. I can't stay up with this
0: one. See, I, I was working at a comic book store at the time, and I, I was working with um, a number of very uh, judgmental uh, people who... At a comic book store? I know, it's weird. What? It, it's, it was a weird that anomalous bizarre. Uh, scenario where you know the the, <laughs> the people behind huh. the counter had opinions on the books that everyone was buying. But even though Spawn was like the biggest comic in the world and we were selling two billion copies a, a month, uh, the people who I worked with who are all older than me and, and really sort of had an impact on me in terms of my tastes, uh, they were violently opposed to Spawn and Todd McFarland in general and thought that you know all of his work was terrible and that Spawn was a, a, a crappy character and everything. And because of that, they were having nothing of this, this movie. <laughs> and, um, I went to see it because, you know, whatever, it's a comic book movie, but, um, and, and uh, Ebert's review really was like, whoa, you know, this is, Ebert just gave the Spawn movie four stars. Like, what's going on, guys? And, you know, so I went to see it in Theater 6 at North Riverside on opening day, and, uh, I liked it, but it was like one of those things where I think I was so hyped going into it and I was kind of like brainwashed by Roger Ebert saying that it was a four star movie that when I saw it, I wasn't like, oh, God, what's wrong with you, Roger Ebert? I was like, I admire the things that Roger Ebert is talking about in his review, but with sort of like zero passion behind it, you know? Right. And the the show, on the other hand, I thought was great, so, oh yeah. yeah, I thought the show was brilliant
1: show- i I think the show is great, and i and the thing is, I think there's a very important <laughs> line to tread too, is you know, uh just because you wrote the script for a film doesn't mean it turned out the way that you thought it was going to, yeah, which is why I'd love to sit down and pick his brain to be like, what was it like to write the script for spawn mm-hmm. and See where it went. Yeah, you know, like what cuts did they make? Yeah, uh, what changes? Yeah,
0: for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. now I'm going to go back and and I think I think now is the time to go back and listen to that commentary and I'll tell you what what I what I'm misremembering from 20 years ago next week. Uh,
1: that sounds that sounds very good and I think actually we need to add to the docket, um, Halloween. Yeah. I really, the, the Halloween series, because I am dying to get your reactions to them. Yeah. Because this was, you got to keep in mind, the Halloween series had a tremendous impact on my formation as a human being. So, it, you, yeah, you, man. you could
0: say that it shaped you. I could say that. Okay. I really could say All that. Right. Yes. I, I, the, the, it, <laughs> uh for for me i mean i I will say this out of the one two three four five six halloween movies that i've seen um by far the best one is the rob zombie remake i don't think there's really anyone who would even debate that so you'd be
1: surprised there there you know somebody who would debate that mike and i think that's a debate we can look forward to having you think you think i got animated about maz Kanata? (laughs) Wait until you hear me talk about Rob Zombie's remake of Halloween. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that is, uh, you know, if anybody wants to uh, come at you and tell you to watch any other horror franchises or anything like that, where can they find you online?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on a new podcast called Film Damage over at com, where we talk about movies from the perspective of film projection and we have a a, yeah oh never mind yeah (laughs) check it out (laughs) it's a good show and
1: people should listen to it
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah and of course you can find me as castle junkie uh climbing around out there online you can find me uh on words with nerds with my pal craig and right back here on the nerd party network you can find me co-hosting aggressive negotiations with Matthew Rushing, which is a it's a Star Wars podcast of a different sort. And of course, just a gentle reminder, uh, if you can help us, go on over to GoFundMe.com slash Party, and uh, you know if you, if you can pitch in a couple of bucks to help us out with this legal problem, that would be really appreciated. But thank you very much for joining us here on Great Shot Kid and we'll see you next time.